Whoa. I'm sorry we don't have stands, Funky. bro. We just got these mics. <laughs> no, it's cool. They just freaking came in, guys. What's up? Ted Jones World Podcast. We have a special guest, a lovely guest. Love this freaking guy. Anthony DeVito. Yo, man. What's, what's up, up, kid? <laughs> what's up, Ted? Dude, we just fucking got these mics in, and I don't sure. have to stand. How yeah. heavy are these puppies? Pretty heavy. Jeez, yeah. I'm going to be switching yeah. off lefty and righty. Yeah. Oh, you definitely need to stand with these guys. So you're coming from Astoria. <laughs> yeah, I'm coming from Queens. Beautiful, man. All right, are the light's good. We good? <laughs> let, me, let me turn on that. Man, you are a live Dude, wire of a guy. I love it. Yeah, yeah, yourself. for sure. What's up? What's up, United States? It's your boy, Dude, Anthony world. DeVito. It's the, it's the world, Ted. Oh, my God. All the way in uh, Kirkuxton. Hi, everybody out there. It's Anthony DeVito. Television's Anthony DeVito. You guys probably know me from... All my appearances on the tube, but I'm here with Ted Jones today, man. Let's go. I'm in Ted Jones's world now. So, guys, Anthony DeVito, hilarious comic. This guy has his own solo show. Are you performing the solo show right now? Yeah. While um, producing an hour comedy special that will be coming yes. out May 26th. Yes, man. So, talk about uh, wow. those things, man. Look at you, man. You're on it. You, yeah, man. Yeah. So, I got the solo show, which is uh, I'm going to do in Edinburgh in August. So that is about, uh, that's like, a, I'd say like a half hour stand-up. In Canada? That is in Scotland. Scotland. Yeah, oh, yeah. Wow, okay. <laughs> yeah. It's like Edinburgh, Canada. It sounded something like that. It does sound Canadian. Yeah, You're like, fine. Yeah, I'm not Edmonton. coming down. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll cut this part um, out. Ted doesn't I'm know his geography. Class, North Jersey, son of a hairdresser. Um, but yeah, so I'm doing that in August in Scotland for the Fringe Festival. And then, but you're, like you said, man, May 26th, that is when my stand-up special drops on my YouTube channel. Um, so yeah, I got a lot going on. It's overwhelming. It's stressful. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm never, uh, I'm never alone with my thoughts anymore. It's just me on my phone doing hashtags. Yeah. And it's like a the, nightmare. And like the 10 other characters that you have, right? For your, for your one man show. So, oh, yeah. how, so how are the two different? So if you just kind of describe, sure. um, cause I've seen like, I mean, like Instagram ads and I've seen your page, yes. but you've been um, doing the one man show for a long time and now yeah. you're just producing a special, which is separate. Yes. So the one man show, I started writing, um, I'd say like four months before March of 2020. So like right before the pandemic, I started writing this one man show and then the pandemic happened. Obviously, the show goes on hiatus for the length of that. And then I'd say about like eight months ago, it picked back up again. So I started back with doing that. But in the meantime, I was I was probably like five or ten minutes away from my next stand-up album or special, whatever that is. Your, your next hour? Your next hour, okay. yeah. So then, you know, the pandemic happens. Obviously, things slow down. But then once, you know, I, I wrote like a little bit during it, maybe like enough to get the time. So then once the pandemic ended, I recorded an album and special pretty quickly afterwards. So, uh, so that, yeah, that's, that's coming out. And those are two separate. So that stand-up special is just straight stand-up. That's 40 minutes of just stand-up. The solo show, I would say, is like a half hour of stand-up. And then 20 minutes of just like serious storytelling combined together. So it's like a 50-minute show that, because of the nature of the conversation or the topic, I'd had to be kind of serious. So, I mean, the show is about my father was a made man in a prominent organized crime family. Yeah, 
<laughs> I know. And I know. wait, a made man is like with like someone like higher guy. up in the organization. Okay. Yes. DeVito. Yeah. Love that. But I was um I spent the first six weeks of my life in New Brunswick, New Jersey New Jersey. Okay. Actually Princeton rather. I was oh, born yeah. in New Brunswick and gotcha. then was there for six weeks and then moved uh, to Manhattan. But tell us a, tell us a little bit more about this for man. Sure, Very man. interesting. So so he died when I was like uh, seven months old. So I always wanted to talk about him on stage. Like natural causes, though? No, no, very unnatural. <laughs> no, no, man. He was found in the trunk of a car. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's like, uh, it's a whole thing. Um, so I, but I've always wanted, because it is intriguing for people, and for me, too, it's like something to reconcile with. And, you know, as a stand-up, you know how it is. When you have something in your life that you feel sort of torn up about, it's like, well, that's usually the best thing to talk about on stage. It's the most gripping for an audience and also for yourself. It's the most therapeutic. So he was always something... I've been doing comedy for about 12 years. He was something that was untouchable. You know, for several reasons. You know, partly because, like, I didn't know my own feelings on the subject. But then also for my mom, she was like, you can't ever talk about him. But enough time had passed and then I had something happen in my own life where I went, like, I need to talk about him on stage and then I just thought it was going to be a chunk of the next hour. I was like, this will be a 10 to 15 minute chunk. And as I was doing it, I felt audiences be conflicted as much as I was even talking about it. In terms of when to laugh and in stuff? In terms of when to laugh, in terms of like, how should we feel about this kind of thing? You so know? when did you first bring this up on stage? So I first brought this up on stage. It was probably, I think I had tried to sneak it in material, like, you know, just like removed, you know what I mean? Like at shows and mics and stuff like that. But I had a, um, I just had a joke from, I had a new doctor. She asked if my dad's side of the family had a history of medical problems. And I just thought, yeah, bullets. Um, and I just wanted mm. to try the joke. And, I, and, I, and so I did. But, it, you know, and I kind of had written maybe five more minutes about it. But, like, it just felt very, it, it just, it felt very removed to talk about it at, like, a mic. It felt so calloused to talk about, like, the complications of his life in that way. So then a friend of mine was like, I think you have, like, a one-man show here. And I had never done that before. I didn't know what it was even really. I still don't know that the show is Well, what do you think he was kind of show. implying, though, when he said that? I think he was implying that there's, like, grander themes here rather more so than just doing straight stand-up. Whereas, like, this is so much to unpack that if you try to do this just one note of just hitting jokes, that it's not, it's not, you're not going to get across, I think, what is inherently inside of it. If that makes sense. So, yeah, so started doing the show and like um, it's in the stage now where I think like the parts are there and the story is there and like what I want to tell is there. And now it's about like making the moments that are supposed to be funny, like stand up funny so that I'm excited to tell them on stage. So was there any connection in your personal life that, well, I guess you kind of initially said that yeah. connected you back to your father that kind of made you want to yes. express Whatever yeah. happened to it? So um, this happened like, uh, so I, I had a panic attack. I, I literally just had too much of my girlfriend's edibles and had a panic attack and called 911. <laughs> How many uh, milligrams? We were talking about milligrams the other, yeah. the other day on an episode. I, I mean, she, she's, she, she's like 100. And it, they're usually these little bears. And I usually gauge it by the, the limbs of the bear. Okay. So I usually just have one foot. <laughs> you just have a foot and have, have the left foot. foot? Yeah. But I overextended myself. I probably, I, I, had a, I probably had two feet and a torso. Okay. I was feeling good. I was like, you know, I was like, I'm going to watch the NBA Finals. I just did a show in a park. Like, it's a beautiful night. This is going to be great. Um, so then freaked out. Completely freaked out. Had a panic attack. Never had one. 
thought I was having a heart attack, had all the symptoms. Your mind just gives you the symptoms of whatever you're worried about. Call 911, do a follow-up appointment with my doctor just to kind of make sure. You know, like they did an EKG, they did all these tests, and they were like, you're fine. It was just a panic attack. But did you wait? But you told them you uh, took an edible though yes. at the particular time. Yeah, okay, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And they were like, yeah, "Of course." You know what I mean? Like they're very familiar with this, right? So, so I go do a follow up appointment with my doctor. He he's just like a guy from Queens who has like a medical license. You're fine. Yeah, yeah, kind of. He goes. He literally goes. Let's do a for shits and giggles ultrasound. <laughs> see if you're pregnant. What? Or what do you want to see with that ultrasound? You want to do an ultrasound of my I heart. See, are you beating like, and stuff? Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. I think he like just got the machine and was yeah, like excited about it. Yeah, he's fired up Yes. Look at this thing. $30,000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What did these squigglies mean? Do you, do you read this chalk kid? <laughs> so, so we do this thing and then he goes, he goes, I found something. And uh, he told me I had this like undetected heart condition from birth. I, I Nobody knew about. I have a mildly dilated aorta. Um, because of a bicuspid valve, which was potentially fatal, depending on the size of my heart. Um, so he ordered a CAT scan. So for like, those, I, I waited four days on the results of the CAT scan. So for those four days, I really thought like I was going to die. And I thought like, oh, my life is going to be cut short. And how many years ago was this? Like? This was two years ago. And my dad died at the same age or around the same age. But this is before the pandemic or this is during the pandemic? This like is when before was this? the pandemic. So before yeah. March of 2020? Yes. So, so this happens and then I, I think I'm going to die. So in that moment, um, I mean, I, I've had a lot of family members die. Um, not just my dad and my dad's side of the family, my mom's side of the family. Just but a because lot of, of like, mafia related no, stuff? No, no, no. Just health? like, <laughs> no, no, no. It's just your everyday, like, okay. you know, sort of medical problem sure. things, right? So, like, I mean, I've seen, you know, I've seen it sort of firsthand and what, like, death affords you sort of this, like, kind of clarity in which you can, like, unburden yourself of everything you've been holding yes, on to. Yes. And I, I felt like I wasn't going to get that chance. And I was going to die in a different way, but similarly, like, my father, where it's just more sudden. So I didn't want to do, I didn't want to go out like him with secrets. So that was really me being, like, Oh, hey, if my life is going to be over, I want to tell my father's I want to be honest with people about kind of my mom's story and my father's secrets. And I want to I want to go out with nothing. You know what I mean? I want to go out completely unburdened. So that was kind of the impetus for the show. But did you know a lot about your father from the stories that your mother was telling you? Or was it for like the people in the community or family? Like what was what was really on your chest that you wanted to get out? Sure, I, I think more so my mother's story and everything that she went through with him, because she braves a lot. And like you know, we've all seen like Sopranos, Goodfellas, Godfather, and they all do great jobs of kind of accurately depicting like both sides of the coin for people involved in this kind of life. But I the like a, the woman's story in this isn't as told, and I wanted to tell my mom's story in terms of like. The highs, the lows, the aftermath of it. Yeah, I just got goosebumps, man. Yeah. Um, And, like, being the son of someone like that. And, like, because people have such perception about, you know, they see his life as entertainment. And I've always been more conflicted because he's my father. So, like, I wanted to get those stories out there. Um, So, yeah. So that's kind of how it all came to pass what was uh, i guess something that i I don't want you to spoil your one-man show of course but what is like a story that comes to mind when you just think of like me being curious and me kind of digging and being like well what do you mean by that 
Oh, like, I mean, I will. And if I would ever tell people like I would, I would tell people this and they would be like, oh, you got to you got to listen to Sammy the Bulls podcast or you, or they would be like, that's so cool. And I would be like, yeah, my dad murdered people. Like, I don't think, you know, I, I, it's different when it's like when it's television, it's entertainment. When it's like your father, you have a very different connection to it. Um, and going back to your earlier question, what you were saying about like uh, my mom. No, no, I was shielded completely from it. They didn't want my mom, especially or anybody in my family, didn't want me having that in my head growing up. They kind of wanted me to have a clean slate through life and not sort of like be bogged down with like the violence and the gruesomeness of my father's life and death. Um, so I was kept from it. My mom only ever told me about him. I mean, she said he died in a car accident, which was like half true, uh, you know. Um, and the other thing, she really would just let on little things like as I got along, if I if she needed to borrow an element from him that she felt was like would be appropriately positive for my life, she would use that. Like, you know, he was a tough guy. So she was worried about bullying when I was in third grade. I hadn't grown since first grade. So she was like, your father didn't take shit from anyone. Don't take shit from anyone. So, like, those kinds of things. But otherwise, no, I was, ke- I was kept completely in the dark until I was 18 years old, playing basketball. Guy on the court looked a lot like me. I'd never seen him before. Everyone was calling my last name on the court. Comes up to me after the game, and he goes, your last name is DeVito. I was like, yeah. He goes, I'm your cousin from your father's side. Had no idea. Went home and told my mom, I'm excited. She, her face dropped. She said, I need to tell you about your dad. And that's the moment I found out a little bit of who he was. But she didn't, not, she didn't tell me everything. She didn't tell me about his death. And then years later, I had an ex-girlfriend who, um, you know, I started telling the people that in my life I felt like we're going to be in my life forever and in, like, a meaningful way. I felt like I can't lie to these people so told her about him. She looked him up. And that was, you know, that was something that was sort of off limits that she did. But then she was like, you should look for yourself. And then when I did, that's when I found out sort of the details of how he died and some of the less flattering things that he did while he was alive. Well, was this like early Wikipedia d- days that you were no, able? I was 30, man. This was like almost about 10 years ago. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, this was that my mom didn't see Google coming, obviously, when she told me whatever. She, she never predicted that, like, there would be a database where I could look up information. It was just her. That's the only person I could ask unless I wanted to go rogue and really become a journalist. But so was there anything that you had read that was just beyond your wildest beliefs of, that could happen? Yeah. yeah, I think so. I mean, I think when you, like, when you, when you, when you see, first of all, like, when you see... Uh, that, someone that you water, love. Go ahead if you want to have a sip of that. Go oh, ahead. sure. Yeah. Um, uh, when you see someone that you love, you see their name in print, or someone that like is your, you know, is your blood. And you see their name in print right next to words like violent hitman, contract killer, murderer. Like it sort of distorts the vision you had of them because I know he, I, he was an invention for me growing up, you know, like what kind of vision did you have of him though? Uh, just this perfect superhero of a man. What kind of stuff did you, made you think that though? Um, I think you just, when you're a boy and you don't, I mean, a father is important in any boy's life. Right. But when you're a boy and you don't have that, you're allowed to create who that could be. And why wouldn't you create anything but, you know, Hulk Hogan? Or just like this like perfect entity that you could look to in your darkest times. 
So he was that for me. And like, I kind of had that throughout my whole life in a lucky way, weirdly. And then when I read that, it was like, oh, all that shattered. And this is the real thing. Like everything else I just made up. So what were the kind of spoils and things that were going well in your father's life that, I mean, allowed him to have a successful mob style life for so long? Um, like, what was he doing successfully? And then what, was your mom OK with some of these things? Uh, I mean, she's, you know, the, the women are kept completely in the dark. I mean, that, that's sort of like that's how you're going to operate successfully. That's even kind of how it looks, you know, when you watch a movie like Goodfellas, yeah. something like that. It's just yeah. like, what are you doing? I, f- I forget what. Um, yeah. Ray, yeah. Um, Karen. Yeah, yeah, Karen, yeah. like, what are you doing? And just, like, yeah, completely out of the loop. Totally. Yes, that's exactly how it is. And I think if you're, like, because the thing is, for my mom, it's, like, she fell in love with a man, you know, as, as anybody does when you're with someone, you just you just step over red flags as you're going along oh my gosh, to hold yeah. on to what you Absolutely. have. So it's, like, there's not a lot of, I mean, like, the flags are different, but, like, the intent is the same. So that's what she was doing. And then when you get super deep into it, you, you know, the person he would bring home is this like charming, like affable, doting person. So you go, okay, this is the guy I know. And he has this job where he's this other person, but I love him. So I'm going to stay with him and he loves me and I believe in him. And I think that eventually he'll get out of this other thing. Cause my, my father was going to college at night working towards a degree like he she didn't see how this guy could be in this kind of a life and maybe saw that kind of a life as like hopefully temporary and you can call it naive you can call it whatever you want but like that that's the mindset she had in the relationship if she were to have been asked back then uh like what her husband's job was what would he say what would she say um she would say what would he say oh he he would say business just very vague, like, I'm in, I'm in business. Anytime that he was ever, like, uh, arrested or charges were brought up against, like, people that he knew, it was always, like, some kind of a business misunderstanding, stocks and bonds, some kind of fraud, nothing. I mean, she knew because she was, like, I don't know that, like, she outright said it because you never want to do that, but I think she was, like, something doesn't smell right here at all. Um, but, and then as the years went on, you, these red flags start to get harder and harder to overlook, which is like five years prison sentencing. Like, you know, so these things, you know, like you really have to like zone in on who this person is to overcome those things. But, you know, that's what those become the straws that break a marriage's back like this, where it's like, uh, yeah, enough of those happen in a row. And like there's sort of eventualities that then you go, oh, my God, I got to get out of this thing. But then you also go, well, I'm in so deep. How do I even do that? So this happened like your father spent five years in prison before you were even born. Yes, this all happened before I was born. He dies when I'm seven months old. So this I mean, the story is my mom's story and their relationship, but told through her perspective and then my story is mirroring that up to a certain point, and they come to a head uh, towards the end. How'd you get into comedy and then start talking about these things that have happened in your life on a lighter note, in a comedic way? Oh, sure. I mean, like, that was just, like, natural progression. That was just, like, doing open mics, seeing the material that was, like, more personal and vulnerable, get bigger laughs, and also, for me, be more excited to tell that material. And you're more comfortable. yeah. Because, like, you know, you, you kind of start and you're like, okay, I think here's, a, here's this is the idea I have of comedy. Here's maybe who I am. And you're just, it's like high school. You're just, like, searching for an identity. And then eventually you, 
you, you know, you start talking about the things that are important to you, whatever they are, but the things that are important to you. And usually the stuff that's more vulnerable, more personal garners bigger laughs. So then you go, oh, okay, that must be the right way to go. Also, it feels right to me to do that. So like for me, I've always been like that as a comic and there's no right or wrong with doing comedy. You, you do it however you do it. But like that's who I've sort of always been as a comedian. So this felt like a very natural progression of what I was doing already, um, just a little bit more in depth. Is there like a story that you tell that is a go-to for you or something that you're maybe trying to put together on stage, you know, something that you've heard recently about your father, about your family that you want to make into a comedic scene that you haven't already? Um, or maybe that you already have? No, I mean... I don't, yeah, I don't know. I'm like, like when you say you, you have read stuff about him, what is, sure. what's some of the worst things that you've read? Um, well, I, yeah, I, the, the trick is I, I can't go into like too, too much detail, unfortunately, mm. uh, for a lot of reasons. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I understand. I understand. So, uh, I guess I would just leave it as like, um, yeah, finding out your father took people off of this earth was probably for me pretty impossible to get over. Even if it's like someone, even if it's someone who like deserves it or isn't like whatever, it's like the capacity to do that. Not only just like, not so much like like treat, treating him as a villain, but like feeling bad for like what that does to a, a person. You know, I, I imagine even if someone who's super removed from their feelings, that has to take a toll. And I just, I think those are moments where like I see him and I just, I would feel terrible. That, like, he had to do that, then also had to go through the aftermath of whatever his actions were because of all these choices that he made or were sort of made for him. So that breaks my heart. Would you say that the turning point was when you met your cousin at that basketball game when you were 18 years old and your mom really started to tell you what your yes. father was like? That was the turning point? That was the turning point, but she still, she was crying when she told me. And my mom is someone who's, like, so cheerful, puts on a brave face for everything. So, like, to see her like that, I'd almost have never seen it before. So I didn't pry because I was like, oh, I just want that. This is clearly, like, very difficult for her. And she's a, been a great mother. So, like, I just, it felt cruel for me to sort of like drag more out of her so i sort of i left it alone took it for what it was was like all right i don't really know too much about that the little i do know is that like they're tough guys they're this or that you know you have you have some feelings but i didn't know like the ins and outs of his life and i think when i did and especially the way he died that's when it was like oh this isn't really fun anymore you know, now this is like a, sort of a thing I'm ashamed of. Do you find yourself learning more and more like every few months about it? Yeah, she will just say things. You know what I mean? Like wow. my mom will just like, I don't know what triggers it. You know, like um, I mean, sometimes it's clear, you know, like we were we were I was in her apartment a couple of weeks ago, whatever. And she still lives in North Jersey. She still lives in North Jersey. Yeah. Um, she was just going to the kitchen cabinet to get something. And she was like, oh, your father, he would have all these, like, secret doors and cabinets to, like, hide his contraband. <laughs> and, I, and, I, <laughs> and I'd be like, wow, wild. And like, like, you hide your weed. You'd be yeah, like, yo, yeah. that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and she would be like, he'd always joke around that the carpenter wasn't around anymore. And I would be like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> How long were your uh, parents married for? Uh, they were married for probably, like, 10 to 15 years. So a long time. She had me in her, like, mid to late 30s. Oh, okay. He got out of prison, and then she had me. 
Um, yeah, grew up in North Jersey. Where are you from, Ted? I was born in, like I said, New Brunswick. Lived in okay, Princeton right. for six weeks, and then okay. I moved here to Manhattan. I, oh, so you I were, grew up in Manhattan. You grew up in bro. Manhattan. Yeah, Manhattan. Oh, wow. Yeah, oh, bro. man. That's... So I grew, I grew up by the old stand on uh, like near 17th and 3rd Avenue. Oh, really? Oh, that's pretty nice. Yeah, man. So is that, I mean, that's got to be kind of wild for you. Crazy, bro. To like grow up right there, have a show there. That's pretty nuts. Yeah, man. So I started going to the stand probably when I was like 19 or 20 years old. Oh, Maybe really? like when it first opened, like yeah. 2012, 2013. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, I would just be hanging around there all the time. Like I definitely met you in like 2013, sure. 2014. Sure. Uh, I met like so many comics back in the day. But then I started to get really serious in comedy after I retired from my dad's company. I was telling you I worked in real estate yes. for six and a half years. So I was yeah, a property okay. manager. Right. I was, um, you know, making sure buildings were running well, systems in buildings, rent was paid, whatever. And then yeah, yeah. Um, after doing improv for like four years, oh, not okay. super seriously, but yeah, yeah. at UCB, I'd take it like once a week. Oh, I just started okay. to get more and more involved in improv, yeah. stand up. And then now for like the past year, I've just been doing this, the vlog and then the comedy show. Oh, that's awesome. Man. How far did you go in improv? I took, are you familiar with UCB? Yeah, I so, started this, like, you know, not the same. Obviously, my dad wasn't in real estate. We talked uh-huh. about what he did. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> I, uh, but no, I started uh, I started in sketch and improv before I started doing stand-up. You started at UCB? So I started at UCB, yeah. Uh, okay, so initially, like, during college, between, like, freshman and sophomore year, I took uh, improv 101 at UCB, which is, like, okay. the three-hour, once-a-week yeah, class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then after I graduated from college, I was taking, like, acting and improv classes in college. But after right. I graduated college... Um, like the second year I was working at my dad's company, I started taking 101, 201, 301, 401, took that straight. Oh, and so then, pretty far. Yeah, yeah. And then I was about to try out for a Lloyd team, yeah. and then Corona happened. Oh, and I was sure, like, what the sure, fuck sure, am I going to sure. do? Because that was like right around the time where I wanted to retire from my dad's company, yeah. where I just wanted to do this stuff totally. full time. Yeah. And then it kind of delayed me a yeah. year. But um, just taking improv, it just made me love performing more and more. And yeah. then from like the middle school plays, the acting classes, I always wanted to be oh, an so you were Okay, so you were always like sort I was of, always trying to be an entertainer, but yeah, I was okay. like, how can I escape the rat race per se? <laughs> just because sure. everything was so yeah. comfortable for me, man. Like totally. when you have stuff that's just put on your lap and right. it's like in 15 years, you'll take over the company, <laughs> right, whatever. Right. But like it, for me, it was just like it was moving so slowly it, it was obviously moving in a trajectory you know upwards and stuff yeah. but it was like okay you're gonna be at this position for the next 15 years and then boom one day you take yeah. over the company i wasn't right. trying to do that and just creating something on my own is is what i what i look to do that's cool man and were your parents supportive of it or were they yes kinda, very oh, that's very cool. so my parents are actually divorced but my mom and dad still work together at the real estate company oh, which is wow. crazy uh, but they have a great relationship. They're show. like best friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but super supportive. And I have two sisters, my mom and my dad. And at least one of them is at a comedy show, at the Ted Jones Comedy Show, every oh, single time, for sure. No way. Yeah, so it's great. That's and every, great. And everyone lives within like a mile of, uh, yeah, of the yeah. stand and like uh, asylum and wherever we have the Ted right, Jones Comedy right, Show. Right, right. But yes, they've been super supportive and making the jump from six and a half years in corporate to yeah. full time stand up, you know, it's it's. It's uh, it's a lot on the on the human brain, so it's nice to have my family support me. You yeah, know? no, that's great. Absolutely, man. that's great. Yeah, no, I um, I got into comedy. I mean, I always wanted to do it, but it was like I, I was just like a shy, weird. Bro, kid. it's fucking hard. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, and you know, I went to school, public school, North Jersey. You know what I mean? It was What's just cool? like cool? Uh, Bloomfield. Bloomfield. Yeah, yeah. Love Are you it. Familiar? I mean, was that by the mall or something? <laughs> I feel like there would be a Bloom, Bloomfield what mall. A, what a, Short Hills Mall. A, what a, that was a safe. That was a safe of a racist mall. New Jersey guesser. 
Well, that's like by a mall, right? Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, it's by a mall, man. Is that near or how far is that from you the pizza shop? get your haircut there, right? Jesus, man. Uh, <laughs> um, no, man, I, I went to... Uh, I didn't really even know I was funny. I don't think I knew I was funny until college. Like, I think you're funny around your, like, friends. You Always, know yeah. I mean? Where'd you go to college? Uh, I went to college so at Miami in Florida. What? Yeah. Damn. Yeah. It's so like North Jersey, then you went, just went, yeah. you Miami. That's yes. fresh. I, I wanted to go to Miami, but the tennis team was just a little bit too good, so I went to UConn. I played oh, tennis, okay. like, yeah, all yeah. throughout high school. was homeschooled for a year for tennis. Wow. Um, but, like, wanted to go to Miami. I just wouldn't play until junior, senior year, so I was like, I want to play right away. Of I went course. to UConn. Yeah, yeah. So oh, uh, describe great. going from... North Jersey to you, Miami. I mean, weirdly, you must have like gotten into your shoes, fit into your shoes out there, right? <laughs> yeah, kind of, man. I mean, like that was great because I did architecture when I was in Miami. So I have a wow. My degree was in architecture, so I and was. They have an amazing architecture. They story. do have a good program. Okay. Yeah, it's like the new urban. I mean, it's a, a method of thought that I don't necessarily agree with them, but like the, they do have a good program. Um, and I met like some of my best friends still like in in that world. Dope. Um, but uh, but yeah, man, it was it was so fun because you're like you're just around like minded people, and like North Jersey is like, man, it's tough. You know what I mean? Like these kids are tough. Like the women are tough. Everybody's tough. So like my bits were not going over, or I was like too terrified to even say them. So at college, it was like, oh, these are these are like architect nerds. You know, like I'm I'm a cool guy now. Which was very exciting, and it was like, oh, that's when I found out I wasn't just funny for, like, my four friends in high school. Like, I was funny for a larger group of people. I just didn't have that audience yet, but I was still going to do architecture. Was it just that your circle at Miami thought you were funny, or you kind of felt that you could connect with no, people and, I, like, make you laugh? I could connect with, like, more people. Not, like, everybody, you know what I mean? Miami's, like, Miami, you know? <laughs> but uh, but I, I definitely felt like more people, and then... Uh, graduated was going was going to do architecture was very happy to be doing architecture and then uh i moved to hawaii after college uh, well i had a, it was a whole thing i had a girl my girlfriend in college broke my heart i was destroyed it was my first breakup too. you know uh, what i mean yeah, okay. and i didn't know how to handle it more over dramatic than like your, 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 your average person who just like most guys just hit the gym or make a playlist i was like i am leaving the mainland uh Left, went to Hawaii. From Miami, you graduated from Miami. Graduated from Miami. Dated a girl for four years. Broke my heart. Didn't know what to do with my oceans. Wanted to start a new life. Moved to Hawaii. Sorry, this was after. So you graduated Miami. Miami. Yes, you came back to North Jersey. Came back to North Jersey for a couple months. Uh, sort of like you know, in the summer, um, and then moved to Hawaii. Wow, dude. Yeah, just knew nobody. Got some apartment on Craigslist. Got a job off Craigslist. Got kicked out of my apartment within a month. I uh, had nowhere to go. I worked as an environmental canvasser. I worked with all these, like, real deal hippies. They lived in the woods. They were the only people I knew there. So when I got kicked out of my Craigslist apartment, I moved in with them in the woods. I, yeah, I, I lived, I slept in a sleeping bag on the side of a mountain for two or three months when I was in my wow, early 20s in Hawaii. Dude. And then uh, eventually... At some point, I, I woke up covered in centipedes in my sleeping bag and was like, I have good credit. Like, what am I doing? I have a bachelor's degree. This is crazy. Moved back to Jersey. Uh, worked in an architecture firm for a couple of years. It was a uh, family-run architecture firm. I was awful, awful at it. I was really good conceptually with architecture, but the practice of it, I was terrible. So 
I think after a little while, I was like, I don't think this is going to be what's it for me. Was starting to do a little bit of sketch, writing stand-up. Not doing any stand-up, but writing stand-up. Were you coming to New York at all? No. I mean, I was coming to New York. I would see shows. Like, I would go to, like, uh, at the time. I forget what the Monday show at UCB was at the time. Aziz hosted it. Um, Aziz and it wasn't. Uh-huh. Yeah, it, was, it, was, it predated Whiplash. Um, I just forget the name of it. But, um, it, you know, and, like, you know, I saw Aziz and Eugene Merman and, like, all those guys from pretty much the cast of Bob's Burgers. They were, like, the alt-comedy guys at the time. And I grew up, you know, I liked alt-comedy, but my sensibilities were, like, very, like, Mr. Show, like, very, like, 90s, like, 2000s alt-comedy. So I just loved the whole scene of it and was like, oh, this is what I want to do started doing improv from there because I still didn't have the character. I really didn't think I was, like, funny enough to go up and be a stand-up on my own. Um, so I was like, oh, I'll do sketch, I'll do improv. Like, that seems to be where my sensibilities sort of lie. Did you feel that improv kind of clicked for you right away? Not really, just because, like, I, um, I, I have a thing where, like, I'm very aware of letting other people down. So with improv, I felt like a lot of pressure, like in a scene that I could ruin the scene for everybody. Um, so I, I think that kind of wore on me and I wasn't, I was good in practice. Like I was good in practice. I was good in whatever in class and things like that. But I don't, I'm not like a natural performer. Like connection wise, I can make connections for jokes and like beats and improv very well. But like in terms of like, giving myself to a scene, I would have, like, trouble with that. I was just a little stiff. Um, so then I started doing stand-up, and it wasn't as scary as I imagined it to be. And then I found that I really liked writing jokes, like, a lot. And then I think I had... Norman came up to me. It was after a mic at the pit. Um, and he said, you're, you're really funny. Mark Norman? Yes. And, like, I mean, I'm, I'm older than him, but he's, you know, older than me in comedy a little bit. And I think that was a moment where I was like, oh, this guy thinks I'm funny. And this guy, I like, I mean, I had just met him. It was, you know, we were all just like running around, like not knowing what we were doing. But I was like, this guy seems to know what he's up to. And people seem to really like him. And I think he's really funny. So maybe I'm on to something. And then like pretty quickly things started happening for me. Like I got, I got new faces, I think three years into stand up. Uh, I started doing a lot of big shows pretty early on. I mean, I bombed horribly at New Faces, and then that like <laughs> that threw me into like a four year hole. But then, like, I think probably around like seven or eight years in, I got like a late night with Colbert. I got a Comedy Central half hour. So then, then I started headlining on the road, and that's kind of where things picked up. And I think now it's probably about five years later. So I'm back on the downslope. Hoping to <laughs> no, <up>. dude, oh, <laughs> come on, trajectory upward. Yeah, yeah, no, so, man, it's it's ebbs and flows, man. For I'm sure, not, dude. Like, uh, you know? Yeah. So having these two shows right now, do you find that you're a little bit conflicted in which one you want to do more? Or do you equally you equally love both? No, I equally love both. I mean... Is there any overlap? Uh, there was some. There was some... Because as I was writing the one-man show, there was the parts of it that were funny, but they fell off because I was like, oh, it doesn't really coincide with where the story is going. So, like, even if I had, like, a really funny... I have like a, a, I'd have written a funny two minute story about my uncle and me buying a jockstrap when I was in high school together, right? But then eventually, as I started writing the show more, I was like, this story doesn't fit in with the framework of the show. So for the, the for one the, man for show. the one man show, but I was like, but it's like it's it works in stand up. So I pulled that out, and that became part of the new stand up special. So like some things went hand in hand. 
Um, but it was, I mean, it was fun because the woman show's pretty heavy. You know what I mean? Like, as we were even talking about yeah, it. Yeah, dude. Like, it gets to be a lot more serious than, like, I normally am as a person. Um, so it was really nice to have stand-up be this, like, just fun thing as opposed to, like, what it's been for the last, you know, I'm a working comedian. It's my job. So, like, there's a lot of uh, stand-up is my occupation, and it, it puts a lot of pressure on it. So while doing the one-man show, stand-up kind of became more fun, which was, like, very nice to have. And, like, you know, bits, I was really painstakingly working on the one-man, but with stand-up, it was just like, you know, things happen in your life where you just go, well, that's a hilarious story. So that's now going to be in, so, like, in my stand-up set. So, like, bits more naturally occur in stand-up, whereas, like, the one-man show, I'm honed in and focused on writing about a particular subject. Um, which is actually, it's been easier to write because you're not just picking out of the ether. You're like, you're, you're really, you're, you're laser focused on what you're supposed to be talking about. So, well, how have you kind of advertised the one man show as being part serious yet you are playing so many different characters that it makes it maybe humorous? Yeah. I mean, I think like, I, just, I think even just the connotation alone of like a solo show, a one person show, one man show, I think people go, Oh, okay. This is going to have. This is going to be outside the realm of stand-up a little bit, so I think they're prepared to have other emotions. Um, and I, I'm not playing any characters. I'm not. I wish I was John Leguizamo, but I just don't have the ability. So it's it's more a storytelling show. I would say I really don't know exactly what it is, but I do think it like falls along the lines of what's been happening with stand-up lately, with like Gerard's last special. With, like, what Hannah Gadsby was doing. Like, and, you know... Sort of like you can, interpersonal stuff. Yeah, you, you can like Relevant. or not like those things. I just think we're in a time right now with stand-up where we're like, we don't know what to call these things. They're not quite, like, plays, but they're not exactly stand-up. So they're just, like, they exist in this sort of gray area for right now. But I do think it seems to be where stand-up is heading a little bit. And it doesn't feel like a trend as much as it feels like oh, this might be a new element that we're able to do on stage that audiences are uh, welcoming towards. And that's not to say, you know what I mean, you have your showcase sets at clubs, which are just yeah. like, that's bang, 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 punch, punch, punch. But like, I mean, and this isn't new, you know, like in the UK, people have been performing this way for a long time. It's just a matter of like, I don't think over here it was quite as like mainstream, but you're seeing it more and more. So let's talk about May 26. You're releasing, yes. what is the special called? Brain Noise. Brain Noise. I knew I knew it was with brain. I just, I just didn't know the last part. Okay, Brain Noise. So uh, that's coming out on YouTube. Yes. And you're releasing that for free. Yes, it's all free. Maybe about a few years ago, would you have completely thought differently about releasing something for free on YouTube? Totally, yeah. So kind of describe that. Yeah, I mean, the models just changed so much. I th you know, it's like, you know, we're seeing like a ton of guys just drop stuff yep. off free on YouTube. Yeah, because I think we're seeing that like that that exposure translates itself to ticket sales on the road. So that's where you're making your money. So it's kind of I mean, it's a little bit it's a it's it's less definite. It's a little bit you're you're gambling a little bit more, but it seems like a pretty measured gamble um, with what we've seen in terms of like success of like. Sam Murrell special, List special, Norman special. And not to say, like, Shane Gill's special. Not to say, like, this will do anything near those numbers. But um, you see that there uh, is a possibility for tremendous success from that, um, which didn't exist years ago. Um, 
And, it, you know, it was pretty much like you get paid a lump sum of money for doing an hour's worth of material, and that exchange is great. But those specials weren't really being shown to the magnitude that they used to be, so they wouldn't generate raw numbers when you're on the road like they once might have. Sure, because there's also so many different platforms now yes. that you could have potentially signed, out, signed yes. on. And, like, even that, too, it's like, man, how many specials you see? I mean, people go, oh, my God, like a Netflix special, that's the dream. Man, some of those specials, they're on there for, like, a week, and then they get buried. And it's like, if they don't really hit, then, like, that doesn't do much for you outside of, like, that was a tremendous payday for you, and you have a lot of, ex you know, you have exposure from a streaming service, and you have all these clips to put up, but it may do more for you to put something up free on YouTube just in terms of, like, access to people who then go, oh, I'm going to go see this guy live. Right. Also, it's a thing, too, where it's like it feels kind of underground, and people love that, you know? It's like people love when they're discovering a band and when, like, you know, they feel like, oh, I know about this special thing that maybe nobody else knows about. Like, that's a powerful feeling for people. So for Brain Noise, talk about kind of how you set it up, where you shot it, who else is on the, I guess, who else, like, opened for you. Sure. What did that look like? Where'd you so shoot it? I shot it at Acme uh, Comedy Company in Minneapolis. It's nice. one of my favorite clubs in the country. How many seats are there? Um, I think it's probably, like, 250. It's, like, somewhere in that range. So it's this, like, perfect mix of, like, intimate, but also, like, a big kind of theater-y setting. It's a club, but it feels a little bit like a theater. And when did you shoot it? Go ahead. I shot it, uh, what do you mean? When When did you shoot it? Oh, I, well, that, that mistake I made, I shot a Halloween weekend. That was the mistake I made. So, like, every, because I've been in that club a zillion times, like, and it's a, it's a layup, man. It's one of the best clubs in the country. It's an absolute smash. So I was like, oh, this is a no-brainer. And they, my friend of mine, Ahmed, who works the club, was like, because I was going to just record my album there, right? But my friend Ahmed was like, they have three cameras that shoot in 4K. You'd be an idiot not to try to tape this as a special. So I was like, yeah, all right. Well, what was, what was the difference? What, were, what was your thinking process? Um, I, I was like, well, I'm just going to do this as an album. Not, I, not really knowing that I could do it as a special as well at a state. Because I was like, oh, if I'm going to shoot a special, I'll do it in New York, um, where it's like, Oh, I can know the room. I can get people to well, come where, out. Where would you kind of do it in New York? What was your thought? I mean, now that? I would say I'd probably do it. Uh, my top choice would be Gutter Bar in Brooklyn. Okay. I just think that's such a cool space. And the show, CYSK, that's run there on Wednesday nights is like, I think my, it's my, I think hands down the best independent show in the city. And it's just a it super cool room. It's like, it kind of has just the perfect appeal for like a comedy special. It just feels like one when you walk in a room. Um, so... I, um, but I shot in Minneapolis yeah, yeah. going like, oh man, this is going to be amazing. This club is always unbelievable. Halloween weekend, everybody who's cool in Minneapolis does not show up. So it's just, it was more older people who were like less familiar with comedy. So it was work, man. It was not what you want to shoot a special. You want it to be just like, you get to lay back. You get to just soak in the laughs. A twitch of an eyebrow gets a laugh. This thing was work, man. So, I mean, I'm, I'm proud of what came out of it. And like, it was directed and edited by this guy, Jason Katz, who did an unbelievable job. And, uh, but man, it was, uh, it was a slog, man. So sure. it's 30 minutes of you 40, yeah. 40. And it, it, do you add like who opens for you and who features on the YouTube or they just do that live in Minneapolis? No. So whoever was going to host and feature that weekend was just going to be the host and feature. 
I, looking back on it, would have... I Just Acme is so... I can't describe to you how good of a club that it is. So I was like, oh, this is a can't miss. But you can miss. <laughs> you just, you know, Halloween weekend, and then, you know, I would have made it more... I would have made it more special for, you know, no pun intended. But I would have done that. Like, my first album I did at the Creek in the Cave... Where I came up in comedy, in Texas. Uh, no, well, it was in New York at the time, okay, okay. in Long Island City. Oh yes, yeah. yes. So oh it was my like gosh, right everybody the in the crowd were like close friends. You know what I mean? These were close friends. These were comics. These were like these were all people coming to support me uh, in this in this like a- important hour, whatever you want to call it. But like with this, I I think I would have done it that way. But I am, I, like I said, I am happy with how it turned out. It's just a little bit of a, uh, a lesson to learn. Is there a reason you waited um, a few months to release it rather than release it like a couple months ago? Uh, well, it had to be edited. So like it had to be edited, it had to be color corrected, the sound had to be mixed on it. And like it was a bit of a challenge to edit it because it was like they were just the three fixed cameras from the club. And then, like, uh, two more cameras that, like, local guys had used. One of them, Brandon Simon, the club manager there, and this guy, Rudy Pavich. Um, But uh, the director, the editor, wasn't there, and there was no moving camera. So it was, like, a little bit trickier, and, like, um, it was was three shows, but uh, the shots weren't the same on every show. So, like, I might have liked one take of a joke from show one, but the shot didn't make sense. Okay. So then, like, there was, there was, it was just more difficult because of that. Okay. So there were a lot of things. I had never done this before. Yeah. So there were a lot of things going forward that I learned from doing this that I would implement differently on the next one. But I am, I am excited for people to watch it, and I am very proud of That's it. That's great, dude. Yeah. So after you release this, do you have tour dates set up for the summer? Um, or are you looking to just release it and then kind of gauge from there yeah I'll, I'll release it see what happens from there and then like the big thing is me going to edinburgh in scotland to do the one-man show that's when like is all that? of august all so of august all of august man it's like i think i'm there the fourth to the 28th with one day off wow. and i do the show every single night let's go yeah. <laughs> right, matinees or, or something or do you just do no, the same time same every time, night same time every theater? single night same theater how does that even work though you 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 pay for the space um, and you're there the whole month. And you do your show every night. I fucking love that. How many yeah. seats are there in Edinburgh? Uh, it's just like 50, so it's going to be like real intimate. intimate. I'm, I'm very excited, man. And what are you just staying in, in an Airbnb, Airbnb down over there no, or what? Myself, Casey Ballstrom, and Gabe Malika are amazing. Also so we're all splitting a house. Love Casey. Okay, that's great. Her apartment. Um, that's so cool, dude. So yeah. you have a very busy summer coming up, it sounds like, between <laughs> yeah. releasing yes. uh, your special and then releasing the one man show. Is there one that you're looking forward to more so or one that you think will get a better reaction from people? Now, in asking that question, I think it, you know, it may be easy for you just to answer one or the other. But like thinking about what you can do past um, the special and then the one man show, like can you make the one man show into a TV series that an HBO picks up or yeah. maybe you take the, your 40 minute special and then like an, um, Netflix picks it up. Are there certain things behind um, these projects that you're expecting um, or hoping for? Well, I think both have both have like nodes of uh, unpredictability that are both exciting sure, in different yeah. ways. Yeah. Cause like I've never, I've never put a special up on YouTube and seen what that could possibly do. 
I am, you know, I, I think there's a little bit more predictability with that just because it's like, okay, I have put up a stand-up special before. I've put up a lot of stand-up on social media. But they, it's done it's, so well, though. Like, I've seen, yeah. like, I looked at your YouTube before yeah. you came over here, did a little research. Of course! But, <laughs> I, I mean, what kind of numbers are you looking for? Are you looking for, you know, like a few million or you think it could pop off, maybe get 10 million, something like no, that? probably not. I mean, my expectations are pretty low, um, but I don't know, and that's exciting. Just that. that aspect of like, who knows? You know what I mean? I'm very, very cautiously optimistic. optimistic love it. But I'm not like, yeah, I, I, I'm not like disillusioned in like what could happen just because I've put up a lot of stand up over the years and it's done well. I am not complaining at all, but I kind of am like somewhat familiar with like what the end result of that could be, which is great. Yeah. But with the one man, like you said, it's like there's a lot of interest in that outside of just like, the typical interest I've ever world, yeah. kind of garnered for my stand-up. It's like, so like, it could be a movie. It could be a show. It could be a lot of things, and I don't know. And that's extremely exciting because that little bit of difference and that intrigue by people in the subject matter is like, oh, maybe some cool shit could happen with this. And that's like, yeah, that's very, I'm very, very psyched about that. What's been your favorite moment in comedy up until this point? Um, I would say taping the half hours in New Orleans for Comedy Central and flying like my mom, her best friend, her daughter, all like my childhood friends showed up like that was a party like that was the that was the best. That was just like and how many years was, ago was that? That was two thousand I think 2017. So that was about five years ago. So that was like the fruits of all my labor, but showing up in a way that was like. Dude, let's have a let's have a good time in New Orleans. That was fun, man. And do you have a favorite club in New York City right now that you're at most frequently, or that they treat you the best? I know you were saying you like Gutter Bar in Brooklyn, sure, sure. but would there be a place that you enjoy going to on a weekly basis, or maybe a place that you do go to on a weekly basis that you enjoy? Um, I I don't know. I mean, there I really have like every place treats me great. You know what I mean? Like I you know I. Uh, I'm probably a New York comedy club more than I am any other club. But, like, um, I have no complaints anywhere. Like, everybody has been so, so giving throughout the years in helping me in my career. Um, so, yeah, I don't have a – I have only good words to say about all of them. Do you have a favorite place on the road? Um, I, oh, yeah, you <laughs> said Minneapolis. I me, man. Uh, I mean, there's certain cities. Like, Denver is incredible as a city. Like, Comedy Works, the club there is also, like – in like your top tier of like nationwide comedy clubs for sure. But uh, yeah, Denver is Denver's one of the places where I would like go and go like, I could give it all up and move here. Like this is fantastic. Amazing. Anthony DeVito. So dude, you have your special coming out May 26th. Shout out where we can find it. Shout out your Instagram, YouTube. Please let us know. Yeah, man. Go on, uh, go on youtube.com slash DeVito Anthony. Comes out May 26th. Please subscribe for the love of God. Click that freaking so button. Monetize and make some money off this thing. And uh, follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Comedian Anthony DeVito. Comedian Anthony DeVito right here. When's the next uh, time we can see you stand up? Let's see uh, for all these New Yorker people. When oh, can we see you sure, man. this well, week? This comes, this comes out Monday, so in four days. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, I will be at COSK at Gutter Bar on the 18th, and that'll be me doing a stand-up set. But if you want to see the one-man show, I'm doing a QED in Queens May 25th at 1030. Come out to that.
What day is May 25th? It is a Wednesday. So it's right the next day. You know what happens the next day? The special comes out. Let's freaking go. <laughs> Anthony DeVito, thank you so much thank for you, joining Ted. the Ted Jones man. World Podcast Couch. Guys, this was an amazing episode. Anthony really brought the freaking goods. We'll see you guys Thursday, all right? Be safe. Peace.